Um, so I'm doing the talk on commitment, um, which is also on covenant, which is also on sex. So, um, so here's here's that yarn. Um, a few things before I um, kick off. Um, number one, um, I am going to talk about some stuff fairly bluntly and blatantly here tonight. Um, so um, there are definitely going to be people in here for whom some of that's hard. Um, for a variety of different reasons. So, if you need to, like, look at your phone or put in your headphones or, like, walk out of the room at some point, like, totally do that. And we'll all agree that we don't know why you're leaving the room or why your headphones are in. It could be a variety of reasons, but that's fine if you need to do that. Um, if this brings up some stuff for you that you don't want to deal with right now. Also, I want to acknowledge that I'm a straight male guy in my 30s giving this talk. Um, and um, goodness knows we needed another one of those talking about sex in the church, eh? Um, and so um, just knowing that, that this comes from uh, a perspective, um, I um, try as much as possible that I think this is like a pretty coherent biblical perspective I'm talking about tonight. Uh, but because we are um, a little community, if you disagree with me, you don't have to get shitty and leave the church forever at the end of tonight. You can just come up and have a talk to me about it. It's that easy. Like, we can just have a conversation. Um, we don't need to be another person who heard a sermon from the front and then gave up on church because of it. Because um, you might even change my mind. Who knows? Um, so let's, let's just, um, yeah. And then just one other thing. Um, so the scriptures were written to a predominantly um, heteronormative culture. Um, so when you hear some scriptures tonight, you are going to hear men and women um, and I'm just um, relying on you to know that you can recontextualize that for yourself if that's not totally applicable to you. Um, is that cool? Um, so just um, just setting some of that out for tonight. Um, but um, where I thought um, I might start um, is a little bit of my sexual biography. Come on, um, let's do it. Um, um, so um, woo, here we go, straight to it. Um, so. Um, for me, um, growing up, um, sex was a thing that was not talked about, um, and if it was talked about, it was normally talked about with a little bit of an ear of dodginess or grossness to it. Um, and so for me, essentially, what, what I like um, grew up with was a sense that this was something we should never talk about, it. it's something we should be uncomfortable with, it's something to be ashamed of. Um, and I think that's not an uncommon thing. Um, for, for some of us in this room. Um, as I headed into my teen years, um, I was typical of other young males, and pornography played a part in my history, um, as it does for me, for me, and for many women too. Um, what that did for me is it actually drove a lot of that shame and secrecy even deeper, um, and took me to a place where I had a real deep uh, sense of shame around, um, around sexuality. Um, and so then what this did is it actually followed into some of my relationships later in life, where any time I felt a bit excited to be around someone, immediately also came these feelings of shame and grossness that would follow alongside that. Now, why do I tell that story? Firstly, I think it's important that um, we understand that all of us here tonight come with different bruises. Um, and though, even though I wasn't someone who slept around a bunch at uni or, 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 or high school, I still walk with a limp in this space. And too often in the church, when we talk about the wounds or the baggage that we carry with us, we always think about the person who's had a lot of sexual partners. But all of us come here tonight with different bruises. And I say bruises because I think sometimes the word we use is brokenness. Um, and, and that's fine. Um, but I think sometimes it can feel like when we say broken that there is a finality to it and it cannot be made whole. Um, I think to say that we are bruised, um, bruises heal, right? 
Um, and often what happens, I think, there's, there's almost no two topics, I think, that are more volatile in, in, in our lives than spirituality and sexuality. And when you bring those two together in one space, it's a shitstorm, often. <laughs> like, it can be really bad. And what happens is that under our clothes, we all have these bruises of different things that happen to us along the way, different experiences, whether it be shame or whether it be a negative sexual experience. And it seems like nothing's going on. And then we get the lightest brush of that bruise, and suddenly we're like, ah! And I see that so often around sexuality in the church. And it seems like an irrational response, but we are all carrying this bruisedness in different ways. Even if you've lived an incredibly conservative sexual experience or an incredibly liberal one, we all come here with these invisible bruises um, that we bring into this conversation. Um, so some of us are bruised with shame. Um, some of us are bruised with maybe its experiences around um, uh, masturbation, body self-image, pornography, um, bruised with shame. Some of us are bruised um, with abuse. Um, yeah, things have happened that you didn't want to happen. Things have happened to you that shouldn't have happened to you and that grieve God's heart. And you come with the bruise of that tonight as well. Um, some of you are, are bruised with repression, that you have just denied everything that is sexual about you and just held that deep down within. And even now your heart is racing a little fast that a conversation is even hap happening about this. Um, others are bruised with marginalisation. Your gender or sexual identity has meant that you have been told you are not welcome in this space. And you are welcome here. You are so welcome here. Um, and then finally, um, some of us are bruised by a series of bad relationships where we gave our whole self to someone else and they did not give their whole selves back to us. So just naming some of these different bruises we, uh, we bring here. And my point here is we're all bruised, but we're all deeply loved by God. And there are no damaged people and there are no damaged goods in this conversation. There's just a bunch of people with bruises here tonight. Um, and some of you are really going to be longing for me to tend to and heal that bruise in the next 25 minutes. I can't. Um, but we are going to make space for God to minister to those things later on. Um, our temptation sometimes in bruised places can be to avoid them. Um, a phrase I love from Shane Claiborne this year when he talks about evangelism, he says, some people think that the response to bad evangelism is no evangelism. Um, but he says, well, how about good evangelism? I kind of feel it's the same in this space. We say, um, well, there's never been a good Christian vision for sex, so therefore we should just adopt the world's vision for sex. It's like, no, let's reconstruct a good Christian vision of sexuality. Um, so let's not avoid this. So a good starting question uh, might be, how does God see sex? And um, there's a fairly clear thread that runs right through Scripture. Um, Genesis 2.24, um, just Adam and Eve are there, um, says, Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This picks up again in Matthew 19.5. Uh, 19, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Mark 10.7.8, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Ephesians 5.31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I love this bit that Paul says, this is a profound mystery. <laughs> um, but then I think um, one of the kind of most interesting verses um, is 1 Corinthians 6, 14 to 20, 
Um, I'm just going to read two different versions of this. The first one is from the NRSV, and it says, And God resurrected the Lord and will also resurrect us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and sleep with prostitutes? No. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh, but anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Just read the message version. Um, It's always interesting. God honoured Jesus' body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as Christ's body. You wouldn't take Christ's body off to a brothel, would you? I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with Christ, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. Now, something interesting, I think, that I picked up on as I read this. Um, So Paul says here, this fundamental thread, that we are made one with one another in sex just as we are one with Christ. Now, think about this. In the scripture here, in 1 Corinthians... In the same sentence, Paul talks about union with Christ and our sexual behavior. How often we actually do that in the church? Eh? I think like for many of us, we would find that uncomfortable to think of talking about our sex lives at the same time as we talk about Jesus. just feels like a little bit off, but here is Paul slamming the two together. Sex makes us of one body just as we are one spirit with Jesus. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that our sexuality and our spirituality are intimately intertwined. That these things are not separate. It tells us we are meant to think of sex in spiritual terms and not just physical terms. It tells us that neither Paul or Jesus had a problem talking about the Son of God and sex at the same time. That's interesting, eh? So I don't know how often the church does that. Like weaves together a narrative of the cross, weaves together a narrative of redemption while also talking about our sexual behavior. Um, In short... When you're having sex, sexual feelings, sexual arousal, God is right there. God is in the midst. Our sexuality and our spirituality are living deeply, closely together. God is not deeply disgusted by it, but deeply involved in it. God is just as delighted when, uh, God is delighted when your body is doing what your body is meant to do. And the fact that I think for many of us, we feel like a discomfort around that tells us just how warped this whole conversation has come, hey, has, be- has become. That um, if there's so many words you're going to be able to call me up on tonight. Um, you know, some people make great music. I don't know if anyone has seen that. Um, has anyone seen that movie? Uh, what's the one with the, the runner? Is it Chariots of Fire? Yes. You know? And he says in that, he says, when I run, he says, I feel the delight of God. You know, when you are doing the thing that you are made to do, writing great music, writing great poetry, whatever it is, building on a building site, God delights in you, but God also delights when you're brought to orgasm. Amazing. (laughs) So awkward. (laughs) Yes, you like Anna Scott, Yes, I do like Anna. So, so Paul says, 
just as we are one spirit with Christ, we are one body with our sexual partners. Um, and we just did a podcast with Charlotte um, that came out earlier this week, and I've just got Rachel to play a couple of minutes of that because I thought Charlotte really, like, the, yeah, the point was really well made. So. <laughs> So simultaneously looking like both these people, and he, she, they, Jesus, walks across the room and sits down behind me, but also like half inside my body. So we're kind of occupying the same space. You know, this is just an amazing experience. I've met literal Christ, and my first response when Jesus sits down is to say, so... We're one body. Does that mean we're having sex? Because I have no level of appropriateness ever. That's wild. So my first question to literal Christ is, are we having sex? (laughs) And and, and, uh, living Christ replies? Yes. Well done. Okay. Stay with us, listeners. Stay with us. So what I wrote down in, in my little book here is that... We spoke a little of love and lovers. Jesus and God and I are lovers. We are already one body. Six makes one body of two people. I'm glad that I am of one body with Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. This is, I reckon, an interesting thing, and I'm sure Stan and I will talk about it more in the debrief. But it's like at the heart of what sex is, is covenant. Mm. Like that is actually what sex is. You know, it's been made into all this other kind of things, but 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 it is that is what it is. Is it's covenant? It's, you know, are we one covenant? Um, are we one body? And it was interesting in that moment because you know you can't just stop there talking to Christ about how sex works. Mm. And I was like, so does that mean I'm of one body with all of my previous partners? And the answer is yes, you are. Still are. I'm of one body with at least. Oh, I probably shouldn't number them off. That might not be super. <laughs> Thanks for that, Charlotte. It's quite weird hearing my own voice and then my own voice. But um, I just thought like this beautiful thing of like this divine union with Christ, and in that moment realizing that there is something sexual in that, which is only uncomfortable because of the perversion of our sexuality. You know, because of how distorted that's got in our mind. That if, if we have a Christian ethic of sex, then actually the idea of there being something sexual about divine union would be less uncomfortable to us. And yet it is. And we talked in that clip about covenant. Um, covenant is this thing of what makes us one with God. So what makes us one with God, one with Christ, and with one another is this thing called covenant. And in all this language, becoming one flesh and one union, it's covenant language. Um, and so the, the, the way a covenant would work, and I've um, shared this several times here, you should be familiar with it, but the way a covenant would work um, in Old Testament times uh, is essentially what would happen is two people would get together um, and they would um, maybe be from two different tribes and there might be uh, a warrior who really needs some farmland and a farmer who really needs protection. Um, and so they would come together and what they'd do is they would split a beast, a cow down the middle, and then they would walk through the pile of entrails and they would seal a covenant together. And a covenant is basically like a promise. And so the first covenant we see in the scriptures is Genesis 17 with, with Abraham. It's a big deal. It's the, it's the hinge point of the whole Old Testament 
when uh, Abraham seals covenant with God and God says, even though you can't have a child, your descendants will be as many as the stars and you will be blessed to be a blessing. And so this is the, the first covenant. It's a huge deal. And then the second covenant is the covenant made through Christ on the cross. Jesus is called the lamb that was slain. And, this, and on the cross, Christ is the beast that is torn in two, in which humanity and God walk together and a promise is sealed. And through this, we're invited into covenant relationship with Christ. So you think about this. The biggest thing of the Old Testament, Genesis 17, is covenant that I will, I will make you a prospering people who will bless the world. And then the covenant sealed on the cross. When Paul comes to talk about what sex is like, he refers to the two biggest moments in our scriptures, the two biggest covenants, and he says, this is what your sexuality is like. It is a promise. So I want to unpack um, three different ideas tonight that come from Covenant. Move this paper. Um, so one of the things that would, um, that would happen with Covenant um, is when your farmer and your warrior come together and the warrior says, I need your farmland, and the farmer says, I need your protection. At the moment of the sealing of Covenant, the farmer becomes the farmer warrior and the warrior becomes the warrior farmer. There's a fusing and an exchanging identities that happens in that moment. And it's the same way that in the covenant forged by Christ on the cross, Christ takes our sin, we take his perfection. Christ takes our humanity, we take his divinity. This is what a covenant does. And so, Nathan, um, when Scotty and Anna got together... (laughs) Scotty becomes... The teacher pastor, and Anna becomes the pastor teacher. But there is a fusing of identities, there is a coming together there. And at that point, neither party in the covenant gets to live for their own interests alone anymore. Instead of living for me, we live for we, we live for us. At that point, our identities have come together. The warrior has become the warrior farmer, the farmer has become the farmer warrior. So alongside sexual intimacy must also come the covenant promise that I no longer live for me, I also live for you. So that means I can't live for my own gratification anymore. Instead, I live in the hope that you will become everything that God has for you to be, that you will flourish. And so with this covenanting also becomes, comes the desire that that other person would become the absolute fullness of Christ they need to be. A commitment that my life is no longer just about me, but my life is about both of us together. And I will do everything I can to enable you to be fully alive. So we forge our sexual covenant and become one person with one interest, the thriving and the flourishing of one another in Christ. And so sex that is about consumption or about using the individual for gratification or about consumerism obviously leaves bruises on us. Because it is not Christ's intention for us to use one another for gratification, but for us to be deeply committed to the flourishing of one another. So we shouldn't be surprised when this bruises our hearts. This is part of the problem, I think, with pornography in our culture at the moment. And even years ago, the church was talking about pornography. Now, the the wider culture seems to be waking up to the harms. There is no concern for the other person in pornography. They don't know you. You don't know them. 
And it builds in our sexuality a default mode of consumerism rather than covenant. It builds a default mode of consumerism rather than covenant so that when we see someone who arouses us or who we're attracted to, rather than asking the question of what would it look like to serve them as a sister or brother in Christ, we ask, how may I get what I need out of you? We've gone for, for consumerism instead of covenant. And I sort of wonder, this is, this is a wild idea, but tonight's full of wild ideas. <laughs> I wonder what it would look like to view sex a little like the Eucharist. With the Eucharist, we know, and we talk about it here, that we live uh, six days obedient to Christ. We live these six days of living out the mission and purpose of Christ. We say here each Sunday that these it's not about tonight. It's about the other six days of the week. That is where our faith is lived out. We have handed our lives over to him. But then what we do is we come here and we embody that faith. We embody that belief. We use our hands. We use our mouths. Um, we use our eyes. We use our ears. We use our five senses to embody this relationship we have with Christ. And I'm wondering if sex might be a similar thing, that we have said to our partner, I no longer live for myself alone. My greatest concern is that you would come alive in Christ, and then in sex we embody that desire. Am I making sense here? In sex we embody that desire. Then in effect we make it sacramental. We take an inward grace and we make it external but it becomes a picture of the desire we have that that person would be everything that they can be in Christ. That's beautiful, I think. So sex, much like a sacrament, is our embodiment of a deeper relational truth and reality. When we have sex, we are celebrating our commitment to be one. We are celebrating our covenant and embodying it together. So first point, Jesus' vision of sex is sacrificial relationship. Now, what I'm going to say here, you may not believe in this here. I'm only saying what I understand Jesus teaches. There are a lot of ways to live your sexuality. But I do not see a vision of Christian sexuality that consumes partner after partner after partner. That sex is made for sacrificial relationship. The second thing that would happen in covenant um, is that as they came together in this trail of blood and guts and entrails, what they would do is they would slice their palms and they would press their palms together and those palms would leave a scar on each hand. And so what would then happen for the farmer who needed protection is he would walk around and someone would wonder, maybe I'll come steal his farm. And then they would look at his hand and see a scar on it and they'd go, no, someone has his back <laughs> A warrior may have his back. I will not mess with this farmer anymore. Becomes this, this, um, this outward sign. In the same way, on the cross, this other covenant, we see that Christ's palms were marked for us, right? That they become a symbol of this allegiance, of this safety, of this protection that Christ is holding us. So in the same way that the covenant marking of hands was a symbol of protection... Sex as covenant is meant to happen in a space of safety and protection as well. Sex is meant to happen in a space of safety and protection as well. Someone willing to enter into your body should also be your safe place, your protector, and your biggest advocate. They should be a safe person. This is not even, I'm talking stuff that's actually big in the media right now, around sexual safety, around consent. 
Someone who is willing to enter into your body should be your safe place, your protector, and your biggest advocate. Um, psychologist Dr. Sue Johnson in our book Creative for Connection says this. She says, everybody needs a secure base and a safe harbour. Everybody needs a secure base and a safe harbour. We need to know that the person we went to sleep alongside will be there when we wake. We need to know that the person we left when we went to work in the, mor in the morning will still be there when we come home. Now, I was in a cafe a few weeks ago, and um, I, I often go down to Milk Crate, and every now and then I wear my collar, um, and um, most of the time I don't, but people notice when I do, and so then for weeks afterwards, sometimes people will just come and have a seat, and so, <laughs> because they're like, I guess you're that Jesus guy, um, and so someone came and had a seat with me the other week, um, and... Um, and it was a um, young woman who was just talking to me about what's going on at her work. And then kind of flowed on for her to talk about how she's in this relationship with this guy she's been living with for a number of years. He sounds like an amazing guy. Sounds like they have an amazing relationship. And I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. It sounds like you guys are great for each other. And then someone on her face, she says, yeah, but I think, um, I think we need to get married. I said, oh, that's interesting. Like, you know, like it's kind of, kind of an outdated institution. Like most people without some kind of religious conviction are not that interested. Um, and then she said this, she said, well, I just can't imagine living the rest of my life wondering if you'll still be there in the morning. It's too scary for me. Just can't live the rest of my life wondering if one day I won't be good enough. Wondering if one day the love that has been given will be taken away. Just can't live the rest of my life not having a safe base or a safe harbour that if I'm going to enter into that relationship with someone, I need to know that they really have my back. I think this is why um, the work of Me Too and our awareness of sexual violence and stuff like that is really important at the moment. Um, because that stuff is not just a violation of the body, but it is like a violation um, of something in the soul that actually wants to be safe and protected. The, the space, this intimate space, which is meant for someone who will deeply protect and cherish and love someone, um, has instead been taken by somebody else. And, and, and God heals those spaces. Um, but um, this covenant perspective of safety, it's not just a Christian thing, it's a, it's a psychological fact that many people are documenting. You know, if you, many of you will know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you look at number four on that, it's safety. It's safety. That our need for safety is huge. And I, um, I worry for some of the people I talk to who are continually giving themselves sexually to people who do not have their safety or their best interests at heart. So the questions might be, if, if I give myself to you sexually, will you hold me safely? Will you ghost me the next day like it was nothing? Will you tell your friends how good or bad I was sexually? Will you take photos and share them? Will you coerce me to do something I don't want to do? Will you leave me when you find someone sexier or prettier? Like any covenant, sexual intimacy should be accompanied by the desire to protect and care for one another beyond the bedroom. Sex is meant for an environment of safety and trust. So first thing of today, Jesus' vision for sex is for sacrificial relationship. Jesus' vision of sex is for deep safety. Um, then point number three, um, the covenant that Abraham sealed in Genesis 17 was not just for Abraham, but it came from Abraham about a family. 
And then that family became about a tribe, and that tribe became about a nation, and then that nation blessed the world. And it's the same with Christ's covenant. That Christ was called to the Jews, but we know then that the diaspora that we way out into Asia Minor and, um, and into the Mediterranean, and it has spread throughout the world. Covenant changes everything, um, and our covenants and sects do as well. So all of us to say, if we think about this as those other two covenants, your sex life is not your sex life, it's actually our sex life. <laughs> and I do want to name just quickly here um, that I know that the church has not always been a safe place for people um, to share about their sex life publicly or to invite other people into that. I know that in the conversation about that, disproportionately women have been victimised rather than men and made responsible for things which were not often their responsibility. But nonetheless, we are a corporate and a communal people. We want to be the Acts 2 church. We want to be a people who journey deeply together and a part of journeying deeply together is being seen and being seen for all of who we are. So it's not your sex life, it's our sex life together. Um, and it's interesting how sexualised the public space has become, that you can't go anywhere without seeing sex, um, but we are still become increasingly individualistic and private about our sex life. So we have so much out here, but when it comes to any kind of, um, any kind of conversation at this level, suddenly becomes incredibly, incredibly hard. I think what I'm saying here is the fact is you cannot sleep with someone in this community without that having effect on the people connected to both of you. We are a community together. And we live in an age that thinks um, that we will solve the world's problems with individual freedom, but it doesn't quite work like that because we are together and we are united. I don't know if any of you have read John Donne's poem, poem For Whom the Bell Tolls, but he hears, he hears this bell um, in the poem going off and he knows it's the bell that someone has died in the city. And throughout the poem, he wonders who has died. He wonders who might have passed away. And then at the end, he says, do not wonder for whom the bell tolls, for it tolls for thee. It's from Metallica's goal. Did Metallica do that too? <laughs> but, um, but what he's saying is don't wonder about who has died because we are connected. We are connected. So... Here's my plug. This is a, this is a community um, where we require our leaders to be um, married or in civil unions if they're sexually active. That's, um, that is, that's our, our standard in this community. Um, and here's sort of my plug around that within the context of, of community. There are a few things. I've seen so many people go from community um, because of... Um, uh, relationships um, which have not been held by the community but have been in secret. See, if you don't hold um, your sexual relationships within the container of marriage or a civil union, then we don't actually get a chance as a community to ask you questions about how you're doing and about the person you're marrying. So you might be, or, you're, or not marrying, the person you're moving in with, they might be really bad for you. You know, when I, was, when I was getting married to Anna, I asked the people who love me, what do you think? Like, am I seeing things right here? Now, if suddenly the furniture just moves into someone's house one weekend, none of those conversations happen. And you move in together and, and we don't know about it. Um, we don't get the chance to gather around you to pray and support you either. 
We don't get a chance to buy in. You know, there's that um, moment in any marriage service where we say, we will. We say, we are for you. We'll take responsibility for your marriage. On a good day and a bad day, we will be here for you. We don't get that opportunity. Um, we also don't get to celebrate with you. And two people coming together in covenant is actually really exciting. Um, and as a community, we want to be able to celebrate that with people. Um, and then finally, um, essentially, if, if you step out into this space without an opportunity for your community to walk with you, then you step out as two individuals rather than as members of this community. And so all the beauty and blessing the community can provide to a couple finding their way in relationship is diminished because we don't get the chance to bless the union together and we don't get the chance to move with you and support you. But, but I think what's even harder about that is there are really hard days in relationships um, and if there has been none of that space to move together as a community, if the relationship ceases to be sacrificial, if it ceases to be a place of safety, then we have no way to speak in and we have no way to support because we weren't on the journey together. So simply, a covenant relationship must be a sacrificial relationship which is safe, and it's very hard to do this in isolation as two individuals. It's really hard. And it's fine if you want to do that. That is how most of the world is doing. If you want to come to this church, um, and um, you just want to move in together, and you have already, we are so fine with you being here. And God is not angry with you, and neither are we. But we actually want to do that journey together as community. So three things. Jesus' vision of sex is sacrificial relationship. Jesus' vision of sex is deep safety. Jesus' vision of sex is in Christian community. Now what I thought um, I might just do in this final part um, is I just wanted to put out some questions for the different stages of life people might be, be at here that you could think about around this. So firstly, thinking for our marrieds in the room, and I think um, at 6.30 I organised this to post on the blueprint page, so it may have arrived, but it doesn't always work. Um, but for marrieds, it might be time to do an audit. Are we sacrificial? Am I putting your needs and wants as my top priority? Is this relationship safe? Do you have confidence I'll be here tomorrow? Do I treat you with respect? Are we in community? Who really knows our marriage and supports us in it? good questions you could ask right now. Um, for those who um, are in a, a, a sexually covenant relationship um, outside of a civil union of marriage, similar questions. Is this relationship sacrificial? Will my partner give their life for me? Are they committed to my well-being? Is it safe? Can I count on them to be around in a week, a month, a year? What assurance do I have that they will be around? When will we move towards a public acknowledgement through a civil union or marriage that we are covenant to get together? Um, when will we move our relationship into a communal context of support and safety? Um, and for the singles, um, what am I doing now to prepare my heart to give and receive love well? Do I have bruises that make me incapable of loving another well? Do I have bruises that mean I can't receive love or affection? Am I a safe person? Do I treat the gender I'm attracted to with respect as a human and not an object? Is there a journey of healing around pornography or a consumer vision of sex I need help with? Who are you journeying deeply and honestly with about your sex life, whether it's sex with people or the exploration of your own body? So a lot there. How's everyone doing? 
If you hate me, come have a chat to me later. <laughs> what we are going to do, though, um, acknowledging um, that we are um, all brews for a number of different reasons, um, is um, we are going to invite um, the Holy Spirit to come as we worship together. Um, and if there is a place for you where you're like, you know what, actually, um, there are some bruises I have for a whole number of different reasons. Um, let's allow Christ to come and bring healing to those. Um, let's allow Christ to come and tend to those. Um, yeah, so, so let me pray. Lauren, do you want to jump up too? Um,